Hi, I'm Joel McMahon, pastor at St. Philip United Methodist Church, uh, bringing you once more our weekly podcast. And uh, before we go any further, let's bow our heads for a moment of prayer. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for this beautiful day. We thank you for the gift of life and the faculties that you give us to enjoy it. And we thank you, O Lord, that you have uh, called us to be a part of the life that you have created us to have. And you've made it clear that you love us and you want to be with us and fellowship with us. We thank you for your word, which shows us just exactly how to do that. And we thank you that we can uh, learn from you this day. Give us open hearts and open minds as we now approach your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, our scripture lesson today is uh, a continuation of what we've gone through for some time. Uh, we're going to be looking at Psalms 103, verses 1 through 5. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Well, today we're wrapping up a series that uh, we've been calling Forget Not His Benefits. David told his soul to bless the Lord and not to forget all of his benefits. And yet, in the hustle and bustle of uh, everyday life, unless we're careful, we can forget that there are benefits to being in the kingdom of God. There are benefits to having been made his child. And in the past few weeks, we've been looking at some of these benefits. We've looked at forgiveness, healing, redemption, crowning, or reigning in this life. And this week, we're going to be looking at the fifth and last benefit, which is satisfaction. Uh, David says in Psalm 103, verse 5, who satisfies your mouth with good things, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Now, this word satisfies appears again in Psalm 107, verse 9. Again, this is a psalm of David, and he says, For he, speaking of God, satisfies the longing soul and fills the hungry soul with goodness. And I can attest that God does that. He satisfies the longing soul. He fills the hungry soul. There was a time in my life whenever I knew that something was missing and nothing was satisfying in life. I had everything, and yet I was tired of living and scared to die. I had everything, and it was all just stuff, and nothing seemed to be worth anything anymore. Now, the word uh, that's translated here, uh, uh, satisfies, is the word sabah, and it means to be made full. It means to have enough.
in the New Testament, whenever Jesus was starting his Sermon on the Mount, he says in Matthew 5, 6, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Now here's this word, another word, that means to be made full. If something's filled, it's made full. It's satisfied. And so if we're hungering and thirsting for righteousness, and if we're looking for things that are missing in our lives, and we look to God for them, we have a promise here. We'll be filled. It says he satisfies your mouth with good things. And I think this is interesting that David doesn't say heart and he doesn't say soul at this point, but he says mouth. And now the Hebrew word translated here as mouth is the word adi. And uh, this word appears in the Old Testament 14 times in 13 verses. And only twice is it translated mouth. Both times are in a Psalm of David where uh, he is the one who's speaking and it's translated mouth. All the other times, interestingly, it's translated ornaments. And it may be hard for you to see a connection between the mouth and ornaments, but sometimes words have uh, uh, connotations uh, that are connected with other parts of life. And in this particular case, it's connected with horses and the fact that the bit controls the horse's mouth. And uh, here in Texas, we see horses a lot. And we can see how ornate and how beautiful the bridle on a horse can be. And it would be very easy if you were looking at some fancy bridle, and especially the part around the mouth where all the connections take place, to say, look at that horse's mouth. And somehow that got carried over so that uh, this word adi could mean a mouth. And uh, so I guess you can take this all together. And it says that God satisfies a person who, like a horse, has been broken and who responds to its rider. If you can't control your words and your appetite, you're never going to be satisfied. So I'm going to ask four questions today to help us understand what satisfaction is. First of all, as we mentioned earlier, the Hebrew definition means to be made full. And so, uh, well, in, in Psalm 84, 11, it says, For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. And so he's going to satisfy your mouth with good things. He's going to satisfy your mouth and, uh, and good things. Now, there are several places in Scripture where good things are referred to as coming from God. In Proverbs 18.22, it says, He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. In Matthew 7, 11, 
If you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Now then, uh, uh, initially, back a, a little bit of earlier, I'd said in, in Psalm 84, 11, it says, uh, the Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Now that Jesus makes it very clear that our heavenly father has good things to give to those who will depend on him. And it's so sad to me that uh, some people miss out on the good things that God wants them to have because they're afraid that what he has for them is not what they want. Or maybe he has something for them that they really don't want. Uh, I can attest to this personally. You see, uh, in undergraduate school, my my, well, my undergraduate degree, I have a bachelor's in, uh, in modern languages. Spanish was my uh, major language. Uh, at one time, I could think in Spanish, but a, a language is like a muscle. If you don't use it, you lose it, and I've lost a lot of my Spanish. My other two languages were Russian and Czechoslovakian. And so when I started working on my master's in theology after the Lord called me into the ministry, I was kind of worried that the Lord might want me to be a Bible translator because I had this knack for knowledge, or not, not for knowledge, or a knack for languages. And so oftentimes there would be gatherings on uh, the seminary campus, and I can remember being in one of them where there was a Wycliffe Bible translator uh, in, this, uh, in this parlor, and all these people from uh, a group that I was a part of were all gathered around. They were talking to him. You know where I was? I was in the far, far corner of the room because I was scared to death that God, whom I loved, was going to be calling me to be a Wycliffe, a, a, Wycliffe, a Wycliffe Bible translator. And uh, I just didn't want my family to wind up having to live in a mud hut somewhere out in the middle of somewhere, who knows, swatting tsetse flies while I was translating the Bible. I didn't want to put my family through that, even though he had assured me that he had good things in store for my family. He'd assured me he loved my family more than I did. And if I would follow him, he would make sure that my family was provided for he would make sure that things would go well for my family. And I must say, they have gone the way that they should go for my family. Well, so on several occasions, Wycliffe Bible translators there, I'd be back in the far corner. I didn't want to have anything to do with them. And then one day I walked uh, uh, up to my study door and uh, there sitting in the parking lot was a car. And in this car was, guess what? You guessed it, a Wycliffe Bible translator. And this uh, gentleman uh, introduced himself and said that he was uh, in this area and that he was a recruiter for Wycliffe Bible translators. 
He caught me. And he caught me when I had nothing on my agenda for hours where I could do nothing but be hospitable and invite him in and let him say what he was going to say. And as I sat there, resigned to the fact that I was finally going to have to hear about all this stuff and really have to make up my mind, as this gentleman spoke, and told me all the wonderful things about the Wycliffe Bible translators. And then he answered all my questions about like, well, um, do we get to share the gospel? Do we get to tell other people about Jesus? And I discovered as I asked my questions and got the answers, God had not called me to be a Wycliffe Bible translator. He had called me to be a pastor in a church, and a counselor. And oh, it was such a relief. But do you see what I had been doing? I had been running from God, someone who had been called by God and trying to do everything that God wanted me to do, but I was afraid there was something that he had for me to do that wasn't good. And so there was always this fear I hadn't learned that God's loving kindness is better than life and that we need fear nothing as we put our hands in his and trust him. And so here I had been fearful for something I had no reason to have any fear for. And though God brought that man there and sat him down in front of me just to settle this in my heart so I wouldn't be distracted and wouldn't be halfway serving the Lord. Let me ask you, is there something that you have been dreading confronting in your own life in connection with the Lord? Maybe it's a relationship that you really feel that he wants you to give up, or maybe uh, it's something else in your life, but uh, I just uh, uh, want you to know that whatever it, that you're fearing bringing to the Lord. He has good things for you. Quit running from him even while you're trying to follow him because you see it slows down your walk with him and it does away with the closeness that he wants to have with you. He wants you to have peace of mind in your relationship with him, not fear. Now then, so that's what satisfaction is. Who is it that satisfies? Well, it's the same one who forgives, who heals, who redeems and crowns. He's the same person who satisfied. Our creator, God, is the only one who can satisfy us. He made us. You're never going to be satisfied by anyone or anything other than our creator God himself. St. Augustine said it so well when he said, our hearts are restless, O God, until they find their rest in thee. In Proverbs 14, 14, it says, the backslider in heart will be filled with his own ways, but a good man will be satisfied from above. Then in Ecclesiastes 5.10, uh, Solomon says, 
He who loves silver will not be satisfied with silver, nor he who loves abundance with increase. This is also vanity. I love reading Ecclesiastes because I know exactly where he's coming from. Because he says he tried everything that there was to bring uh, uh, what he thought was going to bring happiness in his life. And all the things that the world holds out as being things that are going to satisfy wind up being nothing if those are what you seek. Jesus was right when he said, don't worry about these things, about what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to wear. Your heavenly father knows you have need of these things, but instead seek first the kingdom of God and all these things are going to fall into their right place. He'll give you all the things that you need. And yet, how many of us uh, live our lives thinking, oh, whenever I get to this point in life, then I'm going to be satisfied. When I finally accomplish this that I'm striving so hard for, then I'm going to be satisfied. You know, there was a, a, a survey that was taken many, many years ago where people were uh, asked just how much it was that they needed to be earning in order to be satisfied. And the answer all the way up and down always came out just a little bit more. I'm almost there, just a little bit more. And I've discovered many times I've gotten that little bit more, and then I still need just a little bit more. But uh, once you come to know the Lord, you realize that he is your source and you have everything that you need right at this moment. Psalm 145, 16, uh, David says, you open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. It all comes from God. Third question, what is the result of satisfaction? You know, we're living in a generation that's never satisfied. It's uh, a generation of entitlement. But God wants to restore your youth like an eagle as long as you don't get greedy. Let me uh, share with you before we go any further. Psalms 30 verses 11 through 16. And it's like this passage was written for this generation in our nation. It starts off, there is a generation that curses its father and does not bless its mother. There is a generation that is pure in its own eyes and yet is not washed from its filthiness. That's this generation. There is a generation, oh, how lofty are their eyes and their eyelids are lifted up. There is a generation whose teeth are like swords and whose fangs are like knives to devour the poor off the earth and the needy from among men. The leech has two daughters, give and give. There are three things that are never satisfied, four never say enough. The grave, the barren womb, 
the earth that is not satisfied with water and the fire never says enough. And so here we have four analogies of natural things that are never satisfied. These are analogies with our own generation, with our own life. But when you look at the context, it's talking about a generation that's prideful, that uh, uh, is uh, disobedient to, uh, to, to parents and to our heritage as a nation, and we're turning our back on our godly heritage. A nation that calls the impure pure. That's why my denomination is in the process of splitting because there are those who are wanting to call what's been made clear by God as an abomination and a sin to him. They're wanting the church to endorse that and say, this is pure, this is beautiful, and it's not. It's atrocious, it's abominable in his eyes, and so it should be in ours. Not that the people that practice those things are to be hated, but they need to understand that they are far from the Lord who can satisfy what they're really looking for. A nation or a, a generation that has sharp words, uh, words of sarcasm all the time out of, it's coming out of their mouths. And here's why. It's because they're never satisfied because their attitude is give to me. Give to me. The word which describes this, this attitude is entitlement. You work hard, but I'm entitled to what you made. That's entitlement. It's a leech trying to get their life from someone or something on this earth rather than getting their life from God. The Bible says that this generation is going to act like this, but the reason they act like that is because they're not satisfied. And the reason they're never satisfied is because the only one that can satisfy is the Lord. And they are afraid that he is the one that's trying to prevent them from really having satisfaction in life. And this is what the church needs to be about right now. Reaching people with the good news that God loves you. Jesus died on the cross for your sins. You don't have to work for acceptance from him. He already loves you. And he has good things in store for you, better than the things that you're looking at that you hope are going to going to make you satisfied and are giving you less and less satisfaction, let's, let's face it, all the time. You can continue going down that road of having to amp up things or you can go down the road, the other road, which leads to peace and joy and life. The Bible says that there's a generation that's going to act like this. And this generation needs to know that God wants to satisfy. He wants to give them hearts that are content he wants to renew, renew our youth like the eagle. Now, eagles are amazing creatures, aren't they? A seven-foot wingspan. They can lift twice their weight in flight. 
They have four times better eyesight than humans do. And get this, their eyesight never dims. When the eagle is old, its eyesight is still clear. And an eagle gets new feathers every year. The, just earlier this week, I was uh, putting, I was getting dressed, and I told my wife, I said, you know, I think about the newest thing I have in my closet is like six years old. My wife agreed. We need to go shopping. And she agreed that uh, we just haven't paid attention to stuff like that since we retired. We uh, have a few things that are presentable, but we just don't need clothes like we used to. But uh, just imagine that. Every year, the eagle has a new outfit. Isn't that great? Now then, uh, it says your youth will be renewed like the eagles. Now, this didn't evolve. Eagles didn't evolve. This is our brilliant creator's intelligent design. He designed the eagle. And then, by the way, do you know the number one cause of death to eagles? You probably never heard this. And I would never have imagined it in a million years, even though after looking back at one video I saw in particular, I can believe this. The number one cause of death in eagles is drowning. Drowning. Can you imagine that? Uh, you, I have had the, the pleasure of watching an eagle swoop down and grab a big fish out of the lake and just go off with it. It's just natural poetry in motion. It's just a beautiful thing to see. But I saw, I saw one video of an eagle that swooped, and this eagle was swimming, and it caught somebody's eye, and so the videoed it, and this eagle was swimming. And I was wondering, why in the world is an eagle swimming? It wasn't floundering like it was going to drown or die or anything. It was literally swimming, using its feathers to swim. And it swam all the way to the shore, and then it flopped a bit till it got on the shore. And then uh, you could see in its talons was a huge fish. And as soon as it got wiggled up on the shore enough, it whipped around and grabbed that uh, fish again so he could pull it on up on the shore and not lose it. And this is what happens. This is the problem. If an eagle grabs a fish that's too heavy for them and the fish pulls them under, they won't let it go. And they drown because they won't let go of this biggest fish that they ever got. The number one cause of death, the number one terminal weakness that they have is greed not being satisfied. Well, uh, now the next thing, the last thing that I want to share with you is how do you receive satisfaction? How do you receive it? How do you get this satisfaction? Satisfaction is received just like any other good gift from God by grace through faith. Now, let me stop and say, I have been pastor in large congregations where we had employees 
full-time employees and part-time employees. And uh, we provided benefits for our full-time employees. But get this, part-time employees were not entitled to benefits. I wonder if there are a lot of people who are part-time involved in the kingdom of God, part-time Christians, and they're saying, I've never experienced these benefits. Maybe this is the reason why. The benefits are for full-timers, not for part-timers, not for those that go in the world and into the church and back and forth. It's not for part-timers. The benefits are for full-timers, those who are, are in all the way. You may have seen the uh, sign somewhere in advertising, satisfaction guaranteed. And suppose you went into a shop that sold, say, vacuum cleaners. It had satisfaction guaranteed there. And you went up to the salesperson and said, um, I, 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 I want to collect on this guarantee because I'm not satisfied with your vacuum cleaner. And the uh, salesman will probably say, well, sir or madam, uh, which, which vacuum cleaner did you get? What model is it? Uh, and all these sorts of things. And the guy said, I didn't buy a vacuum cleaner. I just want to claim the guarantee. And then the salesperson would have to explain that if you haven't made the investment, you're not entitled to the guarantee. There may be some of you listening, and it may be dawning on you. You've never made the investment. And that's why you haven't experienced the guarantee. You may not have become a full-time Christian. You've just been dabbling in it some. And now you're beginning to understand from what I'm saying today that this is why you haven't realized any of these benefits, they're not for part-timers. They're for full-timers. They're not for those who haven't invested in the kingdom. In fact, let's look at what Isaiah says about Jesus. Now, this is a, a messianic psalm. Messianic psalms, I'm a, a, mess, a messianic uh, passage. Messianic passages of the Old Testament are passages in the Old Testament that talk about Jesus and this particular passage, Isaiah 53, 11 through 12, was written about our Lord a thousand years before our Lord was born. And it says, he shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant may justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Here he's talking about Jesus hanging on the cross and dying on the cross. And then verse 12, therefore I will divide him a portion with the great and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Listen to this, because he poured out his soul unto death and he was numbered with the transgressors and he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. So it says here, Isaiah was saying that Jesus is going to see the labor of his soul 
and be satisfied. He shall see the labor of his soul. And so what does that mean? Well, verse 12 tells us that he poured out his soul unto death. And you see, that's when he was satisfied. He was satisfied when on the cross he said, it is finished and gave up his life and he died. When he gave everything, he was satisfied. You see, feeding the multitudes didn't satisfy him. Healing the sick didn't satisfy him, although he was happy to do these things for people. Raising the dead did not satisfy him. Preaching the Sermon on the Mount in itself did not satisfy Jesus. He was satisfied when he gave it all. You know when you're going to be satisfied? When you give all. Because you see, it's not what you're accomplishing. You can do that part time. It's for, for whom and with whom you're accomplishing it. It's the relationship, not exactly what you're doing. The hymn writer got it so well in verse three of the hymn, Trust and Obey. I want to share it with you as we close today. But we never can prove the delights of his love until all on the altar we lay. For the favor he shows, for the joy he bestows, or for them who will trust and obey. For those who will trust him completely, not partly. For those who will obey him completely, not partly. The moment that you truly give it all to him, he comes and he's with you through everything from that point on. You want to have satisfaction in your life. Give it all to God. And when you do, he'll give it all to you. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.